DJ PK, it is time now to talk with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. And Steve joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Well, we got multiple things to talk to you about today. One thing <laughs> that PK and I haven't had to do is manage other people during our careers. Don't know if you can pay me enough to manage other people, but there are people who do that. And as a head coach, you're CEO. Now, a basketball, a college basketball head coach, obviously the organization isn't as big as football, right? More players, right. more assistants, more staff. But still, you are uh, you're you're aware of um, the allegations against Morgan Scally, and Morgan issued Apology Friday, and there is an investigation going on, and we have already discussed, and I'm sure a lot of people have thought about. If they keep him, which on some level there must be some interest in doing that because they haven't let him go yet. So if they keep him, what would that mean for recruiting in the long run? How do you handle this within your staff? As the, as the CEO, whether you're basketball or football, there's got to be a checklist of stuff you got to go through. What are you thinking about? Because PK and I never do that. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you, you get to the, to the root of the issue and make sure find out what's true and what isn't. And, uh, and I think that the, and I don't know all the details. I'm aware of this circumstance. I've read a few things, but I will, I'll just say this. If anytime as a head coach, you have an issue between an assistant coach and players, regardless of what they mean, obviously this is at a time where there's a heightened sensitivity as there should be in terms of racism and the thing is kind of the blatant disregard for people and, you know, obviously, we in our in our country right now, um, this is everywhere you look. This is what we're talking about, as we should be. And so then, all of a sudden, you know, you it comes to light that one of your staff members has said some inappropriate things to players. And the first thing you're doing is you you bring you know you bring that player you know you bring that coach in, and and I'm sure they did that. They sat down and talked with him. I don't know. I don't have. I'm not privy to that interview, but I'm you know obviously. What's going on? What's the situation? The next people you go to are players. Who, who was offended? Who reported it? What were the circumstances? And you gather all the information you can. But in the sensitivity of these times, when everything is so transparent, whether it's social media, through television, print, print material, whatever it might be, uh, I, I think you do have to, to kind of go slowly with this, make sure that uh, you know, you've marked all the boxes because – you're right. If they keep coach, and, uh, and and I don't know him personally, I know a lot about him, uh, and I have read um, five, six, or seven former players who have great love for him and say that he's changed their life. But that being said, I, I think sometimes we've all been involved in coaching. I mean, I, we've all had those ugly moments and maybe did something inappropriate or did something that uh, we're not proud of. Uh, and, in, and in the world we live in today, that can erase all the good we've done. And it doesn't seem fair, but it is. That's kind of how it is. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to resolve this situation, but they have to take their time and do it. They just can't – it can't be a knee-jerk reaction. And, and I, obviously he's been suspended, <clears throat> and, and that was appropriate. And I, you gather all the information you can, and eventually the head coach is going to have to make a decision – and what him in his gut, what he feels took place and what happened. I have no idea what was said. Maybe you, you all could enlighten me on that. 
I don't know what the dialogue or the narrative was. Uh, obviously, it, it must have been pretty serious or it wouldn't have been brought up. And was it, was it something that was said in jest? Was it something that was said uh, maliciously? I mean, the, the intent is really important. The intent of the coach and what were the circumstances. I mean, all those things you got to go through. If, in fact, they do decide to keep him, then obviously he's going to probably have to sit down with counselors and uh, have some therapy and, and talk about things that he can do to, to better be more sensitive to all people specifically, obviously, African-American people. Yeah, I think that they, uh, from my estimation, uh, they got a commitment from an African-American. He intended to text uh, somewhat in jest to another staff member, who I believe was also African-American, and he inadvertently sent it to either the kid or the kid's parents, and that's what it was. And it was in 2013, and then when he goes out there and, Comments on the George Floyd situation. Somebody brings it up on social media. Hey, here's what you did. You want me to expose what you did in 2013? And then the floodgates open, and here we are today. You know, we know Morgan Scally, DJ, and I. He did a show on our station right after us for a whole year in between when he got done playing before he went into being an administrative assistant and then became a coach. We know him very well. I give him the highest recommendation that I could possibly have. I don't excuse anything. But my experience with him is that he's a top-of-the-line guy. And my thought for you, you know, you've been around, uh, you've coached at all sorts of levels, you're a mission president, and uh, you and I have talked a little bit about the challenges that they that, that presents. <laughs> so you've managed people for a for better part of 40 years now. My thought for you, this word, and it was the big one, obviously the N-word, what form, uh, if it's spelled traditional or not, uh, when did we as a society become comfortable with that word? Because when I grew up, man, if you said that word, that's like the worst thing you could say. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, in, in the society that we live in, that word is used, uh, you know, in so many different contexts. And, and it's used by African-American community. It's, it's used by, obviously, racist white folks that might use that. But, but it's used in, uh, in, in movies, in music. Uh, it's part of our culture. That, I mean, and, and, but you're right. I mean, there is no way that that would ever come out of your mouth. I mean, that, that's just the most inappropriate thing. But it's kind of like the world has been desensitized to this because it, it is a word that the African-American can use in, in humor or telling a story or in music, but certainly it, it's not appropriate for a, a, a white person to say and use that word in that context or any context. So what happens, the lines get blurred. And certainly uh, I've been in settings where you have uh, Hispanic players, white players, black players, and, and that, that word has been thrown around as, as an adjective, as a noun, as a verb. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like some of the inappropriate uh, language that, that people use in the world today as, as it comes to swearing. You know, I mean, you, words are used so differently today where when I was in high school, you know, nobody would ever, ever say that swear word. You know, that, that, that was an absolute no-no. You know, now it's the first thing that comes out of everybody's mouth. And... And, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't see this word, the N-word, being a word that is 
thrown out but amongst their own people and the African-American community. I, I've had lots of African-American players who I've heard say that word, but they're saying it to themselves. And oftentimes it, it was said in an inappropriate way for, to, to, in, 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 a, in a way that was, uh, uh, in, in, in terms of being friends. That was just the terminology, but certainly none of my white, I've never heard in my 40 plus years of working for ever a, a white person using that, that word. And, but the context is really important. And I think that it's a situation that, you know, it's not, it's not an easy decision, you know, and maybe this doesn't even make the headlines if it's a different time. If it's a year ago, this is something that may just, hey, you know what, he's going to, we're going to dock some pay or he's going to be suspended. He's going to go to uh, counseling. Uh, he, he's going to work through it. He has uh, significant remorse. He's sorry. He's apologized to everybody that has been involved. And, and maybe you move forward and he's a better person for it. But it is a little bit more difficult right now where, where there's such a heightened sensitivity to all things that are going on and that are just tragic. I mean, obviously, uh, if, if the pandemic wasn't enough, uh, to have this, all of this uh, racism and blatant disregard for human life and um, all of the things that are happening, uh, you know, it just all happened at one time. And there is a heightened sensitivity times 100 than there would have been maybe if it happened at another time. So, um, it, you know, and I, I've heard nothing but really good things about Morgan, too. And let's face it, people do make mistakes. I mean, I mean, we live in a world where people all the time have made serious mistakes in their life, have shown great remorse, changed, become better people as a result of it, become advocates for whatever mistake they've made, and they move on. And, and people are okay with that. And then there are some situations that uh, it's just, you know, it's not politically correct enough to, to stand behind this man, and, and it just... It's, it's inappropriate. We've got to draw the line. I mean, I don't know how this thing ends, but I, hopefully it ends where we've involved uh, certainly the people that have been offended. They're part of that narrative. Uh, the, 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 play, the former players who probably are stepping up for him and saying, hey, listen, he, he was a great human being, treated me respectfully. All of that's going to be gathered, and at, at some point in time, I don't know whether that's a head coach decision or if that's a, the president of the institution decision, whatever it is, there's probably going to, people, there are going to be people that are not happy. And, uh, and that's just what you have to live with. So uh, it's unfortunate. And it seems to me that the character of Morgan Scully is it, over the years, he's been a high character guy, a great human being. But, uh, you know, he, he had one of those hiccups in life that's become very public. And, and he has to kind of navigate those waters and go through it. And, uh, you know, I'm not, not being intimately involved in that. Uh, I know the sensitivity. I do know that people can change. And, but ultimately it's going to come down to the president, probably the institution or the athletic director or the head coach or all three. They're going to say, we, we've got to move forward because we can't tolerate this. It's especially at this time when, uh, there's so many other really, really inappropriate things happening in our country at the highest level to the lowest level. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And any other week, the first thing we would have asked you about is uh, Caleb Lohner, who uh, 
do you know his dad? His dad played 94, 95, 96. I don't know how much overlap or interaction he would have had. But now he's his four-star recruit coming out of uh, Wasatch Academy. Signed a letter to go Utah, but now he wants uh, out of it and wants to go to BYU. So, wow, that couldn't have played out any more dramatically. Ironically, uh, about two years ago, I was in Provo visiting and I went to watch practice. Dave, Coach Rose, I went to meet with Dave and, and just talked to some of the guys and I was in town and on that particular day, I don't know if it was an official visit or an unofficial visit, but Caleb and his dad happened to be there. It's just kind of on the irony of, of the situation and I didn't know him. I talked to Coach Rose. He told me a little bit about him. Told me that uh, great shooter, athletic, you know, kind of. So I, I sat and talked to uh, the young man for about 15, 20 minutes there while they were getting a little run up and down at the practice facility. And, uh, you know, I got the sense that, I mean, I, I just got a sense of feeling, hey, his dad played here. Uh, he's here. He's here on an early recruiting trip, whether it was official or unofficial, I don't know. But he was there watching. And, you know, he was a delightful young man. And then I talked to his dad at length and about my, you know, they wanted to know about my experience. And so I probably spent 45 minutes with the two of them. And uh, so I was, I was as surprised to hear about this, uh, obviously, I, I know a number of the people on the Utah staff and uh, thought that was really good get. And I figured, you know, Dave, it was one of those things where Coach Rose uh, is is done at BYU and this kid had committed to Coach Rose and his staff. And it's like, it, you know, he probably opened his recruiting again and, and Utah was probably recruiting him just as hard as everybody else. So it kind of made sense that if, okay, I was going there because of Coach Rose and the staff, but they're not there. You know, I don't know all the things that happened in between, but, you know, all of a sudden he's at Utah, and I don't think I've ever seen anything quite so public as I'm leaving and I'm going to BYU. (laughs) You know, and so I don't know everything that happened in between, but I do know the family, and I was surprised when he didn't go to BYU. But then I thought, well, maybe it was about being with Coach Rose and uh, th- and because they was an unknown then uh, and didn't know what was going to happen, uh, of course, obviously Mark came in and done a great job and had a, an amazing year. And I don't know what I don't know what all impacted that decision. If it was made early on, uh, who knows? But uh, I know either way that, that if he doesn't, it doesn't sound like he's going to stay at Utah. So uh, it, it'll just be a matter of whether or not they uh, release him. But. That's that's a tough that's a tough loss because he's got a huge upside, and he's bouncy, he can shoot it, and he's still young. Um, so that's unfortunate for Utah. A very surprising to me, especially based upon my experience that I had with the young man and his father. Great people, and it seemed like a no-brainer that he'd go to BYU a couple of years ago when he was on that official visit. Um, and it sounds to me that we've come full circle, and that's kind of where he wants to end up. It's just going to be a matter of whether he has to sit out or not, I guess. Yeah, so you're a coach, and a kid comes to you, whether he's in your program or he signed a letter of intent and he's going to join your program, and he says he doesn't want to be there. What are you supposed to do? You know what? There's not much you can do. Uh, and I, and I, I don't know if this is a much, as much – and, I, and listen, I, I have no idea because I've not talked to anybody on either staff. But it's one of those things that it may have been a situation where – the reason, again, I'm just this is speculation, but if, if the reason he didn't come was because Coach Rose and his staff uh, were done, and that's kind of where he had his relationship with, and and, it may, and maybe at the time it was a hard decision to make, and he loved the guys at Utah and Larry and all the assistants there, 
Um, then he has a year to kind of watch BYU play and, uh, and, and, and see the, the experience there. Uh, he watches Utah play and all of a sudden starts thinking, hmm, I, I kind of like the, 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 maybe the tempo of the game. I looks like I have more opportunities here. And, and then, you know, he, he comes back because I, I was with, I've been with the staff at Utah and, and they were excited about having him and, and, uh, everything was, uh, was really, really positive. So I don't know if it was the things that transpired over the year with both programs, um, you know, or it was just one of those things that he, uh, he just, he just changed his mind, but uh, probably a combination of all of those things. But as a coach, if somebody doesn't want to be there, um, uh, you don't want them there. It's not going to work out. And, and I don't know all the, the inside details in terms of how that happened. I, my only speculation is he came really close to going to BYU. There was questions. And, and if I'm recruiting against BYU, I'm going, hey, you don't know who the next coach is going to be, you know, this and that, all those things that are going on. And I, did, he, did he commit early or did he commit late from uh, Wasatch? Do you remember? I don't. Yeah, so that would that would play into it as well, and he may have he may have committed uh, early to them. I think he did. I, it seems to me I, I was uh, around the staff a year ago, and he was committed. So he committed early before BYU had their season, before Utah had their season, and it could have been as simple as you know what I'm not sure I fit into this system as much as I'd like to fit into BYU system. All the positive energy and things that were happening there. Probably as he watched that whole thing unfold, either him, his parents, or the combination of coaches, whoever helped him make that decision, they decided, hey, I, I, this is where I want to be. I want to play this way. And, uh, and there are consequences for those kinds of things, because, as, as there should be sometimes, because you go ahead as a coach and commit a scholarship and walk away from others, and now all of a sudden you, know, you, you get late in the year and you find out – a young man that was going to come in and possibly play minutes, especially considering they have a little bit of attrition uh, with a, with a guard already, uh, it, it's, it's kind of unfair to the to the Utah program and to the coaching staff there. I mean, they're kind of hung out to dry. There's not much. They're not going to fill that void in uh, during the summertime, and and certainly probably not this summertime when we're having a pandemic and everybody's in and uh, and, and you can't go out and recruit. So it, I have empathy for the Utah staff. I mean, it's a difficult thing, uh, but it never works out if a young man doesn't want to be there. And so it'll be that, that decision will be made up to the coaching staff and the athletic administration whether they release him or don't. But it did put Utah in a per, pretty precarious position. Uh, but I do believe that having the opportunity to kind of watch from afar and see both programs, it, does, it makes sense to me that Loner, who loves to shoot it and he loves up-tempo and that's kind of the way he wants to play, uh, would change his mind. Uh, the, the question is, will there just be consequences to that or not? He committed, uh, there's a Tribune story I just found while you were talking, August 21st, 2019, so late last yeah. summer. Yeah, so, you know, he had a chance to, to watch everything unfold, and, uh, and who knows what's going on behind the scenes uh, with family, extended family, coaches, everybody that's involved, his, his coaches at Wasatch, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you all have been around this enough. Crazy stuff happens, but I, I know that when I was around the Utah team last a year or so ago, they were excited about having him and uh, felt like he'd be a great piece, especially with his ability to 
to bounce it as well as shoot the three and just had a huge upside, I think. And so that's got to be really disappointing for them. Um, but he's made it pretty clear publicly at, at every level that he doesn't want to be there, and uh, which is unfortunate for Utah and, 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 and a great get for BYU, who has been looking for another shooter. Well, Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and joining us. You're welcome, guys. Take care. Have a good week. All right. Steve Cleveland, a basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Eric Rowe, former Ute, current Miami Dolphin, is coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. And now, attention. Top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NBA is working on the mechanisms that will be used to replace players in the event of a positive coronavirus test or serious injuries in the Orlando environment. Sources told ESPN the league and teams are already discussing how teams will be able to utilize players on two-way contracts. Clubs and wide receiver Justin Ross underwent surgery for congenital fusion in his spine, said the procedure went great on social media, indicated he's looking to getting forward Looking forward to getting back to playing football. Major League Baseball players accuse Major League Baseball teams of depriving America of baseball games. Part of a money fight set off by the COVID-19 pandemic and raised the possibility of baseball commissioner Rob Manfred might push ahead with a shortened season despite the union's objection. Top of the Wire brought to you by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. Effective communications for 21st Century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Matt Bushman. How important is it to you that that opener remains in place against Utah? I got to imagine that game has supreme importance for you. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us really want that game to stay and we we want another shot. I want my last shot at, at Utah and I know it's one of the, if not the biggest, one of the biggest games for everyone on our team. And yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So we hope that whether it's on time or delayed a little bit, that we can still play University of Utah and uh, give them our best shot and see what we can do this year. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, Eric Rowe is going to join us, former Ute and current Miami Dolphin cornerback. He'll be here at 9 o'clock. It'll be interesting to get the perspective of someone who's been in the program day after day. Because, PK, we're around the program on a weekly basis, but not on a daily basis. And... We don't have the access. We've known Morgan a long time, as you pointed out earlier. Uh, he did radio briefly, uh, you know, when you get out of college and you're done playing and what are you going to do? I think there was a brief flirtation with maybe playing arena football, which was the thing with the Blaze at the time. But then he decided to go into coaching and he went up to the U and, and progressed up the ladder. So we've got some knowledge, but it'll be interesting to hear from a player who's been in the program day after day after day. Eric Rowe was that. Yes, he was there from 2011 to 2015. Morgan was an assistant coach during that entire time. And, yeah, so get Eric Rowe. And Eric Rowe was thought of as someone who really had his head on straight uh, and was someone who was uh, going to go places. 
and do some great things in life, whether it was on the field or off the field, it really didn't matter. Now he ends up having the ability to play in the league, and he has, uh, I think he's on his third team. I think he was drafted in the second round to Philadelphia, then went over to New England, had the great opportunity to play on some Super Bowl teams. Teammate of Kyle Van Oys, and now they're going to be teammates again here in Miami because uh, Kyle has signed with the Dolphins in the offseason, and Miami looks like you know, they're a team on the come a little bit. We'll see how it develops, uh, obviously, with the quarterback situation being what it is, with uh, Tua being drafted by them. So, yeah, er- Eric Rowe commanded respect. I can tell you that Eric Rowe commanded respect in that locker room and among, that te- among the team at that time, his teammates, the way he conducted himself. So he's an excellent representative to speak on a lot of different things. I think very highly of Eric Rowe and have followed him from a distance now since he's left the U of U. So, yeah, see what he has to say. I think the, the troubling aspect of it is these other guys coming out. There's been multiple guys who've come out and had some – I'm not saying they're false, but they're inflammatory. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean negative. That's not a value judgment in terms of, well, well, he's full of crap, or no, he's dead on. I don't know. But they are something that the allegations by these other folks, Lacey and Lee, Sean Smith to an extent also, they're troubling. There's no other way to say that. I absolutely want the best for Morgan Skelly. I'm a Morgan Skelly homer. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we all have biases, but I try to at least reveal my biases. The, one of the worst things, the th- things that I hate, is somebody who has a bias and tries to conceal it. I hate that. If you got a bias... Everyone's got biases. We're all human beings. We all got them one way or the other. Let me know. Let me know what it is. I'm telling you right up front. I want to see Morgan Scally succeed. I've been consistent on that. Absolutely. But there might be a price to pay if there is something that has been going on a bunch of times as opposed to what was supposed to be shared with a, uh, a friend on the staff and you hit the wrong button. We've done that. I mean, everyone's done that. I think everyone's done that. You meant to send something, and you sent it to the wrong person, and you send something that isn't uh, – well, it doesn't necessarily have to be inflammatory. You know, you sent me one a while back. Her name is Jackie. Well, obviously, you were <laughs> meaning it. Many, yeah. I, got a te- I do remember doing that. I got a text from somebody. What, yeah. is the, what is the name of – what is PK's wife's name? Yeah. Her name is Jackie, except I already knew that. to you, not to the person who wanted to know your wife's name. <laughs> and I've done it multiple times. Yak is now laughing at me because... Well, I did this last week with you and PK. I was trying yeah, to send one thing right. to you, and I sent it to PK instead. Because Jake Scott does the afternoon, and Jake Hatch does the morning, and oh. Jake Edmonds works at Channel 2. I'm you sure, have yeah. all gotten texts from me like, you are texting the wrong Jake. And then any number of quarterbacks at the University of Washington, they've all been named Jake. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Good point. So... Yeah, Yach sent one a while back. Uh, I think, well, I know it was intended for his wife. And it was a little snooty, but I let it go. Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that one. <laughs> that's a good one, actually. I forgot about that. I had a guy down when I was working at Daily Breeze. He, you know, you, you, no one had texting then because no one had cell phones. But he had wanted a job. He was, he was a real good reporter, but he wanted another job. And so there was a, you can send messages through the computer. And a, he didn't get the job. And 
he sent it to another friend in who was working at the paper, another reporter, and it was a homosexual slur because a lesbian got the job. Not that that has anything to do with why she got the job or anything, but he sent a slur. And true story, guy was a great reporter. Uh, he was albino with vision problems, but he never let that get in the way in terms of the vision problems. He busted his butt, and he thought he should have got the job. He didn't get the job. He was upset, and he sent that, and he realized he sent it to the woman who got the job. And he literally had shortness of breath because I was there at the time, and he was just he was panicked because he popped off. He shouldn't have done it. It was wrong to do. He was upset in the moment. No excuses. And the lady, the recipient of the message, messaged back to him, be careful who you're sending messages to. And she let it go. She let it go. He didn't get fired. So for a short time there, she basically held his employment in her hands, so to speak. Uh... So things happen. Guy's a good guy. Worked hard. He got upset. He said something. It was a slur. He shouldn't have done it. Absolutely. Same thing here. If that's what it was with Morgan, hopefully we can move on. But if it's more than that, as some of these other folks appear to say that it is, well, then you've got issues. Well, we'll wait and see how this all plays out, and we will talk with uh, Eric Rowe coming up at 9 o'clock. I want to spend a couple minutes because we spent a long time, unless there's something else you want to hit on this right now, PK. We spent a long time on it in the 7 o'clock hour. We're about to spend more with Eric Rowe. Um, But the Caleb Lohner situation that we just hit on with, um, with Steve Cleveland and, and I'm curious, you know, listening to him talk about, you know, and, and it's not something I considered right away, but the timing of Loner leaving, of walking away from all the other recruits that you would have had, you know, essentially you've got a list, you've got a scholarship, and you've got a skill set, and you probably, Loner as a four-star, have got him at the, at the top of that list. And you got this other list of guys you're pursuing, and once you get Loner, you stop pursuing all of them, and then these guys go off and you know, sign with whatever other school. Um, what are the youth supposed to do now? I mean, Cleveland, you know, the whole about, you know, hey, hang in there and win and back. I mean, Steve Cleveland just threw a and, – and I know there's some youth fans who are thinking, hang in there and win and back, don't give up, blah, blah, blah. But, man, Steve Cleveland just threw a big old bucket of cold water on that. And he's recruited for long enough. In terms of getting him back on the team you're talking yeah, about? he knows. Well, that like, seems like a lost cause. That's a pipe dream. Yeah, that, that is a lost cause. That is a pipe dream. That is not going to happen. But at the same time, you got to plug somebody in there, and yet and the, the talent gap is massive, and maybe you got to wait a year. Yeah, I think that's what you have to do. But that, in college basketball, is forever, especially if you've got a streak of four years without going to the NCAA tournament. Oh, it sucks on all levels. If you're Larry Kristobiak in the University of Utah, absolutely. It's a situation in – which we deal with, but at the same time, they had no problem accepting David Collette a few years back. That was another last-second deal. Remember, he was at Utah State. That like two was, or three days before that the start was two of the season. D- two days before the season started. Yeah. Yeah. So they had no problem bringing him aboard, did they? No, they brought him were aboard. They, were they concerned for uh, Utah State's coaching staff? Derrier? 
Yeah, it's and, Tim Duria, yeah. And yeah. they were they the ice was getting thin under them at that point and obviously right. eventually they had the coaching, you know. Larry said, "Nah, man, Tim is Tim is hurting here. Sorry. You know, you you got to stay where you're at." No. Nope. <laughs> no, so. it's uh college college recruiting and especially in basketball when one player means so much cuz there's fewer players than in a sport like football, even baseball. I mean, it, it's like watching, you know, one of those National Geographic documentaries, The Animals in the Wild. I mean, you know, good luck. <laughs> it's on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wrote about this a few weeks back and took some crap from uh, Ute fans. One guy accused me of doing nothing but looking to stir up things in, my, in people's lives every day, and I have no value, and I'm just looking to cause trouble each and every day at work. That, that that's what I got. That's one of the uh, forms of feedback that I got. Uh, I also got PK is the most useless sports commentator I've ever worked with. I saved it. Somebody sent it to me. He has never, ever prepared for any interview he ever did. Never read any background emails. He probably doesn't even write his own stuff. That is ridiculous. I don't know how he has his job. If I were his boss, he would have been fired a long time ago. How would it be like to have a job in which your main goal every day is to write something that will get people stirred up? That's his life. Awful. You know, see, the thing is, <laughs> and, and having been around you a long time, but I knew this when the show started. And it's, uh, there were multiple reasons I thought we had a chance to be good, and at no point did I even consider 2020. That, that wasn't even on the radar. You didn't have 2020 vision? I absolutely did not have 2020 vision. But... I knew you were a tenacious reporter, and I knew that you would be willing to say something. You know, at that point, you'd been in the middle of the whole thing with the Utes, and by the time we were doing the show in 02, it was different than it had been in 96, right? In 96, the stories were so wild, it's like, how can that be true? <laughs> but by 2002, like, yeah, okay, there's all kinds of wackiness and craziness in the world, and... There's a pretty good share of it around the Utah basketball program. And at that point, you'd moved on to BYU, and that was starting to get crazy. So, um, you know, the people who think that, like, you don't talk to people, you don't know, you don't have background, it's laughable. The danger, I think, is you get to be a really good reporter, and you are certainly in this area. And I probably was working, i got to think how many years I was working, at least 10, but maybe it was more 15 uh, when you consider, you know, radio and TV and Santa Barbara and Sacramento before I got here. Before I realized, man, when you are really wired in, and you don't get that wired in your first couple jobs because, especially in TV, you don't usually stay there that long. Uh, you probably got really wired in uh, in your job in L.A. in a way you didn't in Arizona because I don't think you were in Arizona that long. But you really got right. wired in in L.A. because you're there a while. And you really get to know people. And once they know you, then they open up. But the danger is you get too close to the story and things can change. And, like, you legitimately know what is going on at 8.43 in the morning. Like, you've got it damn cold because the people who are making the news are comfortable telling you because you both understand that there's a line and you both know where it is. Wherever that line is, you both know. But what's true at 8.43 in the morning isn't automatically true at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Stuff happens. Circumstances change. If you run with it at 8.43 in the morning, at 3 o'clock it'll look like you're wrong. Now, you weren't. Stuff changed. But the public doesn't understand that and doesn't see that. 
And so you got to be really careful with that, you know. And I think one of the one of the easiest examples, and there's lots of them, but one of the easy examples is Kyle Whittingham trying to decide whether to take the Utah or BYU job and going back and forth. And depending on the minute you catch him in, you're right, you're wrong, you're right again. And you got to be really careful with that. But the the thought that you don't know, that you don't have direct lines to people who know a lot, that's ridiculous. That's a terrible take. Yeah, well, there's haters out there. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, I think you, we can't acknowledge because I am your ghostwriter, so we'll just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, on this particular story here with, with Morgan, I mean, I, I was exchanging texts with uh, Yak on Saturday about what I knew, and and uh, I told him uh, about it, and then Singleton went public with it yesterday. Uh, I didn't know that he was going to do that, so we were immediately trying to get him on the air uh, on Saturday to try to get him for this morning, and then he went public with it, which is absolutely his right. Uh, and then as far as Larry in this situation, it's a bad situation, man. And I'm not rooting for Larry to lose by any stretch. I actually like the man. I think he's very thoughtful. Uh, I've had, and I haven't had a lot of conversations with him, but the ones that we've had, uh, I like how he's willing to take hard questions. You remember when they had the, uh, he wanted to stop the series with BYU, and he had a, a press conference, and, and Gordon was there, and Gordon was asking questions, and one of the sports information people cut Gordon off. Well, then Larry cut off the sports information person and said, no, let him keep going. And I didn't necessarily agree with canceling the series or postponing it for one year, but the fact that in a public setting, Larry said to the sports information, no, let him keep asking his line of questioning. Respect in my mind for Larry grew immensely. So I, I root for him to succeed. But I don't know the talent level of this kid because I wasn't watching him play. But one of the things I can say as far as basketball and throughout my years, I've always felt that the star ranking in basketball translates more than it does in football, meaning if you're a highly ranked prospect in basketball, you're probably going to be really good. Now, we've seen a number of kids who weren't highly ranked in football turn out to be really good, and then vice versa, kids who were highly ranked didn't really turn out to be all that much. But I think it's truer, it stays truer to form in basketball. So because of what I've heard about this kid, I've never seen him play, I believe that he's a good player. And when Steve Cleveland, I thought he gave a great one-word definition, a word you always want to hear if you're a wing player in basketball, and that's bouncy. (laughs) When he said the kid was bouncy, me, I'm sure you did the same thing. Yak yep. did the same. It just it conjured up in our minds. Oh, okay, the kid's athletic; he can move. Yeah, he's not slow afoot. He's got some got some lateral about him, right? And you know, if he can shoot and he's got size, so now he's like, all right, that's an intriguing prospect here, and it's going to be a blow for Larry's team apparently if they end up the kid ends up leaving, and it sucks. And it the it's not unique to Larry; it's just that. It's happened to the point where his program has taken steps back when it looked like he did such a phenomenal job rebuilding that thing in four years. I mean, he inherited a program going into the Pac-12 that was absolutely awful. And in four years, he got it into the Sweet 16, which was a great, great rebuilding job. Really, it was outstanding. And you're thinking, all right, man, he's got it going. This is a program that's going to start 
being where it's supposed to be. And now it's gone backwards. There's no other way to say I don't take any pleasure in saying it because I want him to succeed. And there's guys on that staff, multiple guys on that staff that I have known for 25 years, and I like them, and I want them to succeed. And, and, and certainly I'm concerned. It's a, it's a problem here. It's a problem in the sport, but it's a problem relative to Utah because the players that they've used to replace those other guys with, they haven't been good enough to get to the NCAA tournament. And that is the bottom line right there. So in the NCAA tournament, all this other stuff would kind of be a footnote. Um, yeah, I mean, we still might be talking about it because then the issue becomes, well, how far are you going in the NCAA tournament? But the fact they're not in it with the facilities, the tradition, and the league – that just, uh, that just screams, hey, there's a problem. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about a sport we don't talk about a lot and a competition we don't talk about at all. But I think in this case, it is definitely something we should spend a couple minutes on. And then in about 15 minutes, Eric Rose coming up, former Ute cornerback now with the Miami Dolphins. Stay with us. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. With the first selection in the first round of the 2010 first-year player draft, the Washington Nationals select Bryce Harper. Thank you. I didn't think it was that much of a surprise. (laughs) An outfielder from the College of Southern Nevada, Henderson, Nevada. Ten years ago today, Bryce Harper, the number one pick. So that's the Chevy Strong play of the game right there, since we don't have games. Maybe next week there can be a golf highlight and someone can whisper about something. Bryce Harper, huh? I saw Bryce Harper play when he was a teenager. I actually saw him play when he was like 12 years old. And all the hype then? Oh, my goodness. There was already (laughs) hype at 12. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A there was sixth this... grader. Oh, boy, yeah. let's go watch the sixth grader. You had to be rolling your eyes a little well, bit. Well, there were at spring training sites down in Arizona. Uh, oh, Bryce Harper's coming. He'll be here on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then speaking of golf, did you see that one? Uh, who was it? Uh, I don't know the, kid's, the guy's name, but he had a hole-in-one on the eighth hole at Bonneville yesterday. Precisely what I wanted to discuss. We talk a little bit of golf on the show, not a lot. We do not talk about the Salt Lake City Amateur at all. This is what I was discussing. Um, the guy's name is Blake Tomlinson. Uh, he's on the Ute golf team. And he won the Salt Lake City Amateur 73-66. So he finishes with a 5-139. He wins by two shots. And because Bonneville is a city course, I, I assume lots of our listeners have played it. And when they hear this story, they may just go play it even if it's not in the normal rotation of courses. Just so they can go play it and then see the hole. The eighth hole, which you know well, PK, because you and I occasionally would go up uh, last fall after Kyle Winningham's press conference and play Monday afternoon. I'm off TV. We'd go to Kyle's presser, and then we'd go over there and, and golf. And the eighth hole has two greens, and I don't know which green they were using, but i got to imagine they were using the right one because I can't really imagine getting an ace on that right green. This Left green. On the, I don't know how you'd do it on the left one. I can see how you could do it on the right one. Yeah, it's a long way out there. Three hundred. It was playing at three hundred. Uh, I got to look it up. Three, Fifty-nine. Three fifty-nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three hundred fifty-nine yards. Yak and I were just talking about it in the break. Three hundred fifty-nine yards. I was talking about the ace, and you know, did you see it roll in the hole, or you know, maybe it's uphill and you don't see it. But like, whose eyes are good enough at three fifty-nine? Would you know for sure you're on the green? 
Oh, yeah, you'd be able to see the, the, the flight of the ball. Maybe not necessarily at 359. Right. But at, but at 159. Oh, 159, at, yes. At 200. So you know, you know, you, you, as a golfer, you know, you know how well you hit it to begin with. And if it's 359, you know you hit it. But the thing is, Yak and I was talking about this. Like, you could hit it, but maybe it's 335 and it's just off the green. No, you hit a 335. You crushed it. I will never hit a golf ball 335 yards in my life. If you did once upon a time, you won't anymore. Not true. Uh, downhill, gale force winds. Okay. <laughs> I did play a course with my now ex-brother-in-law, and it was in the foot in the foothills. He lived, uh, they lived in that point just in a little town uh, uh, east of Modesto. And so we drove about 40 minutes, and I don't know exactly where we are, but we were in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. And it was a drought, and they kept the greens in good condition, but the course really dried out. And so you're right. You could hit a three-iron downhill, and it would roll forever. There was nothing to stop it. The grass was not there. Were, the grass was dead. You know, the fairways couldn't have been any faster. You might as well be playing on, uh, you know, I-15. That ball was just going to roll. Yeah, there's a hole at Sand Hollow on the back nine. I think it's 14, and it's downhill. And as long as you don't go left, because then there's a huge drop-off. It's one of the more spectacular holes. If you haven't played the back nine at Sand Hollow, do it. It's just awesome. And I don't receive any free golf from Sand Hollow, so I'm not getting anything for that. Uh, but it's downhill. And plus, if you, if you slice it a little bit, it's like it's a bowl, so it'll bounce back left. Mm. And I love that hole because they give you carts, and it shows you how far you can hit your drive. Mm-hmm. And I love just looking at it. And when it'll say 314, I just, <laughs> I, I just feel so much better. Okay. Well, for people who haven't played Bonneville, the eighth hole is pretty flat. Oh, totally flat, yeah. Uh, maybe. Well, there's a little uphill if they're playing to the green on the left, obviously. But to the, to the one on the right, it, it's pretty flat. And I just can't imagine. And I was, I was talking with Yak, you know, if he hit it 335, if, I mean, really hit it. And then you chip it up there to, you know, maybe just miss the green a little bit, right? And you uh-huh. chip it up there to a foot and you tap it in. You're walking off with a birdie thinking, I played that hole well. I feel pretty good. Yeah, and I birdied it. That would have been two shots. He won by two shots. The ace instead of that birdie is the difference between winning the thing and going to a playoff where, you know, maybe he would have won it anyway. Who knows? But he gets the ace and. That's awesome, man. And he wins it. That's incredible. I think, uh, actually, now that I think about it, I think if you look to your left, you can find somebody who could hit it darn near as close as that. Yuck. That it, young man can spank it. <laughs> Yuck. You knock that thing 359 off the tee? If I had it downhill, maybe. Yeah. Oh, if you had it downhill, there'd be no doubt you could. Yeah. But you could get up to th- close to 300. I I've can, seen you. Yeah, 290 is kind of in my range right there. Well, that's pretty Yuck. impressive. Oh, yeah. I, went, I, went out with, I played with Yaka Doodle Doo on Friday. And there's a par five, and it might have been his best shot of the day. And it's a tough. It's the number one handicap down at Talon's Cove. That hole, man. And Talon's Cove's a beautiful course. Love playing it. And But that's a real tough hole because it's a dog leg, and you have to carry some traps. And he carried it. Not only did he carry the traps, he put it right in the middle. And that, that had to have been close to, to 300 because 300, then yeah. – you had to wait. Certainly, you had to wait uh, because guys were on the green because it was less. Was about probably two ten left, and obviously you had to wait on that. Meanwhile, I was over there hacking it left and right. 
That was my worst hole of the day. Literally my only double of the day came on that hole. And I don't even remember what Yuck had on that, but I think it was easily a par, if not a bird. I parred it. I missed the birdie putt. Yeah. The pin was way in the back. It's a long green that they have connected with uh, 18, 9 and 18. It's big, one long green. And the pin was way in the back. So there's some guys who can get in. I can see guys doing that. And obviously this fellow who plays for the U got it done. And you're at the mercy of the ball rolling in at that point. But you hit a great shot. I've had one hole in one. And I did not know it went in. It was a 170-yarder. I did not know it went in until we got there. And as I was approaching at about 15 yards, I knew I hit it well, obviously. And I couldn't find I'm looking left. I'm looking right. I'm looking up. I'm looking down. And about the last 15 yards, it dawned, me, dawned on me, that thing might be sitting in the bottom of the cup. <laughs> and it was. And my wife started screaming. It was down in Hobble Creek, another beautiful course, obviously. And she screamed like as loud as could possibly be. So when we made the turn, there were people there. Do you have a hole in one? <laughs> and we heard uh, people told us we heard the noise. Uh, so and they took my picture and put it on Facebook, and I got some response on that. So that was a lot of fun. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Eric Rowe, former Ute, current Miami Dolphin corner, is coming up next. Stay with us.